Hello, and welcome to Supply Chain Next. I'm your host, Richard Donaldson. Join me as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges practitioners face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. And welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. And I am super excited to have a new friend and colleague, Phil Black here uh, from Houston. Hey, Phil. Hello, how's it going? Nice to be on the show. Good, thanks, thanks. Uh, really excited to kick the year off with you and 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 get into all the things that you're doing. Uh, you know, just just a little bit of background. Uh, you and I ran across each other through LinkedIn, like most people. Uh, yeah. I really found some of the things that you were writing, in particular, uh, with emphasis on uh, you know blockchain, AI, machine learning, um, all tying though into. IOT, asset management. Um, I think, you know, your position, your thoughts uh, are really uh, you know, on the forefront of this. And then also I want to make sure that we get into, you know, you, what you're doing within the context of the Wood Group, because I think a lot of people aren't really familiar with the space. You know, they know oil and gas and energy and Chevron and Shell come to mind. But when it comes to the world of EPCs, that's kind of the behind the curtain, so to speak. And, and you guys are actually driving probably more innovation than some of the majors themselves in some respects, just because of the work that you do. So I think it's, it's going to be a fascinating topic, really looking forward to it. So, you know, I'm going to jump right in and just say, you know, Phil Black, you know, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> how'd you get, how'd you get in? Yeah. Who are you? Where'd you come from? You know, you've got a really interesting story and you spent a good chunk of your career at Wood. You know, people would love to hear about who you are, how you got started and how you got to where you are today. Well, first I'm a Jayhawk. So you can see my, oh. see if I can get my hand I, positioned right for the Good, good. Talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from the Midwest, a chemical engineer, uh, moved to Houston shortly after graduation, did some work uh, in, in actually making tires at Goodyear. Uh, did some work uh, actually when I moved to Houston with a company that was really trying to create digital twins before the concept you know, really formally existed. So we were looking at all the different sensors within a plant and then trying to create these giant decision trees, like if this and this and this, but not this and including this, then this is what's happening trying to really take the information from the operations group, write specific code for it in, in order to give the operators at, at a chemical or, or refinery better advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, as everyone who and when when was this. that? Sorry, sorry. I'm gonna every now and then I'm gonna jump in. So, sure. so don't excuse me because I get excited. But when was that? Was that you know roughly? So that was that was in 2001. Wow. Uh, I started started down here. Uh, up in Kingwood in Houston and uh, with a small company it was just a group of about 15 people and we were all excited about really programming engineering and all this information that was finally becoming more available through the standardization of protocols and actually exposing the process information to a lot more consumers so we wanted to consume that information and then like I say make these huge decision trees giant graphs uh, to try to give people more comprehensive advice instead of just this is high and this is low. Well, what does this high and this low actually mean? Well, let me ask you a follow on to that. I mean, 2001, you know, this is before IoT was even a term. This is before digital twin was even a term uh, necessarily, or maybe it was. I mean, there have been digital twins, I guess, throughout. Uh, but let's go back to that time frame. I mean, that was literally the internet was imploding. Right, uh, you have you know obviously you have September 11th around that time frame, so it's kind of a weird time. But what were you guys trying to solve at that point? You know, 19 years ago, by trying to enable this technology, what was what was the goal? So the goal was simply to increase efficiency and operations. You typically have multiple shifts during a plant. Uh, you typically have your day shift has the most experienced operators. You know, but even back then, the oil industry was uh, aware of the fact that a lot of talent uh, was going to try, going to be retiring in the next 10 years. And so they really wanted to collect that information and encapsulate it in a way that the operators who were like on the third shift uh, could actually perform as well with the same advice, the same knowledge that the experienced operators had. And at that time, Again, and I'm going to get off this because it's, I'm sort of, re- but there's there's a point to this. At that time, it sounds like you were being more operationally focused, which, which totally makes sense, versus supply chain focused. Yes. 
Yes, okay. that was pure looking at the heat exchangers, looking at the pumps, looking at the flow meters, looking at the towers, looking at the reactors. Yeah, right. it was pure, pure heart, chemical engineering, you know. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. And, and, and chemical and, engineering. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, ab absolutely. Super important. And, 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 and another uh, uh, outcome of digital twin, you know, kind of digital twinning things. Um, was there any conversation around the supply chain management of that plant that was digitally enabled that way? Or is it, again, strictly focused on operations? Did it even come up that like, oh my gosh, I know that this pump is failing, I should replace it. And there, you know, that data allows me to kind of do some swift, you know, spot buys. Yes, we did some work on trying to detect things like, uh, you know, equipment failures, uh, maybe like a heat exchanger, needing service, trying to provide that information. Uh, yeah. The issue at the time was simply that the processing power wasn't enough to keep up with, you know, all the information. Right. And we were trying to generate these huge, like I say, these logic trees were 20 layers thick of different decisions that if, if then else the statements. And so it quickly became clear that that approach, while very rigorous, really was just so difficult and expensive because it yeah. took a lot. I mean, you could do it, but it took a lot of time. So it was very expensive. So the companies were finding it hard to justify the price uh, to get that better information, you yeah. know, that more comprehensive information that allows them to not only, like I say, operate their plan better, but then do better planning for maintenance or, or repairs or even preventative maintenance to prevent problems from happening. Totally cool. Got it. Sorry. Okay. So that's, that's all right. We got off 2001. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We just, we just got 19 years to go. All right. All right. All right. So, so sorry. Continue. So how did you, how did that morph into sort of where, where you got into next? So then I moved uh, to Wood actually and started working as a programmer. So started actually writing code, writing interfaces to transfer data from, you know, to and from multiple systems, uh, trying to create standardized ways to actually collect information from a lot of different systems in order to prevent uh, or present a more unified uh, view of operations. Uh, so mm -hmm. it was really focusing on just moving the bits of data uh, you know, across the networks. Mm -hmm. uh, then I started uh, actually doing some of the implementation projects because I liked programming, but I liked actually being out and seeing uh, what was being done in the field. And that enabled me to do, better, do a better job as a programmer. So yeah. then I moved into the implementation, uh, did that for a while, you know, kind of, you know, went back and forth on the roles, uh, you know, project by project. Uh, and then I moved into actually the management, which is actually leading the, pro the product. So the platform, it was uh, for environmental monitoring. Uh, and so actually trying to figure out, okay, what's the value that this platform brings? You know? What platform and, are you referring to? Uh, it's uh, called Envision. Okay. And it's actually on the Azure, the Azure Microsoft Marketplace uh, okay. for applications. So it's okay. uh, uh, for uh, typically environmental and, and greenhouse gas monitoring. Yep. So Envision, as, and, and let's just talk about that. Is that something then, is that a, a third-party product? Is that one, let's talk a little bit about that for a second. Because it's an interesting product I'm not sure a lot of people know a lot about. You know, is it something that you guys co-opted at Wood to then use for what you guys are trying to do with your clients? You know, how does that... Uh, it, it's actually the platform I was developing. So it's actually yeah. the platform I was working on as yeah. a developer. And, right. and so it basically taking all the information to provide, uh, present a unified view of uh, environmental monitoring. So how are we operating for our permits? Uh, all the permits are written by, by uh, politicians, not engineers. Right. So the requirements there are much different than just a simple calculation. Right. Uh, so uh, having a system that allowed the customers to actually do their monitoring one time in one place without looking at a bunch of different spreadsheets uh, to give them real time uh, operational advice and information to prevent uh, problems from happening in, in terms of environmental uh, uh, releases. So, so just, just to make sure we're clear here. So it, it, it's actually called <coughs> Wood Envision. Yeah. It's a platform that developed actually Wood internally inside Wood, Envision, E-N-V-I-S-I-O-N. Totally cool, yeah, because I would love for people, I mean, again, it's a fascinating platform and I want, you know, again, to give credit where credit's due. This is a Wood Group developed platform that is now available on Azure. But if I'm getting my numbers right here, Envision was started 
15, 10, 12, 15 years ago. I mean, they've been working on it for a yes. long time. Um, and you were one of the original guys helping to develop that and ultimately lead that. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Yes. It's been a long, long, interesting kind of path going through all the different uh, products in terms of platform, you know, doing the development, coding, mm -hmm. uh, doing the implementation, seeing what the customers were facing, and then actually moving into the marketing and product management to actually shape the direction uh, and set the future. Because you're right, it was developed, uh, oh, you know, 20 years ago. Right. Uh, and so in a different era when everything was on premise, you know, yeah. everything was in big server racks. So moving yep. that to the cloud and, and it really enabling it to a much wider audience. Amazing. And is the value proposition, let me ask you, because it's interesting, um, you know, providing visibility for operations into any kind of plant or power thing or whatever, right? Is that the core focus of what Envision started as and what continues to be today? Or has it changed over time, you know, as you've gotten more insights into running the platform itself? Uh, I'd say it's it's expanded. Yeah. Uh, you know, our focus, you know, as a company, we were focused 20 years ago, probably what, 80% oil and gas. So it was focused purely on oil and gas uh, refineries and chemical plants. So as wood has expanded, you know, we're looking at uh, doing uh, this type of application, not just across different uh, industries, but in different countries as well. So we recently uh, did a project in Saudi Arabia for the government, actually mm -hmm. allowing them to track greenhouse gases from all the different uh, emitters within the region of the industrial city in Saudi Arabia. I think it's Yambu. Wow. Wow. Uh, and so actually using that platform. And so that really was good because it allowed us to really expand, not just in terms of the uh, on-premise monitoring, but really collect all the information from a lot of different, uh, like I say, sources within a, a widely distributed geographic area and across a wide variety of industries, not just oil and gas. So right. as, a as a company, we've really expanded beyond just oil and gas. And that's been reflected within the, you know, the product development. And also, so are you still, sorry, because you just get me excited about some of these things, but so, so are you still heavily involved in this platform and its development or where, you know, let's, let's stick back to you for a second. Where, where are you at and, you know, bring us up to sort of the current state of what you're, what you're focused on? Yeah. So uh, I've kind of handed off most of the product management, you know, uh, responsibilities uh, to other, you know, as we've got a bigger, comp bigger company, we have more resources throughout. So I've, my focus is I still kind of am interested in it and I still am kind of serve sometimes as a expert or as a yeah, implementer for specific pilot or quick sprints that we do, uh, mm -hmm. but I'm not as involved day to day in terms of the specific product. It's, okay. we, 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 it's, it's good because we have a special group to actually do that. Yeah, yeah. So, what are what are you focused on? What is what what occupies? So, my time? focus, yeah, my focus has expanded uh, primarily to the emerging technologies. Uh, okay. You know, the, the blockchain, the machine learning, the IoT, uh, robotics. Uh, kind of blockchain being a core focus. Blockchain, okay. I see, is a fundamental technology that really doesn't become useful until it's really combined with machine learning, with the IoT. Uh, right. with the robotics, because it really allows a new way of storing information in such a way that it's very uh, easy to track who made the, who put the information in. And because you can't remove anything, everything has to be done in, in, in an accounting perspective where you just back out a transaction. But you have that long transaction list, you can actually start to develop uh, oh, metrics cool. for the quality of data coming in from the systems. Right. So we just had a, this is the first time it's ever happened, but there was a small gap there for about five uh -oh. seconds. <laughs> I uh, said the most amazing thing. Yeah, right, right, right. It was the most insightful thing ever. Like, my goodness. <clears throat> so we may have to repeat that a little bit. But um, so let me, let me rephrase a question here. Sure. Fascinating, because you've, you've got an interesting career evolution where you've been in the, um, I'll call it the, the, the guts of supply chain operations, you know, dealing with IoT, dealing with something like Envision, where you're actually trying to create a digital digital transparency through digital twinning of yeah. you know, these facilities, you know, for operational purposes. Um, you've now morphed into sort of emerging technologies, but let me ask then the question is you've kind of, even reflecting in your own career and where we are today, 
how has that foundational technology, you know, um, affected the way you look at companies who need to start this digital journey today? Because and let me, let me, let me I'm ramble there. But the question is, a lot of people struggle with, I want to do digital transformation. Awesome. That sounds awesome. What does that actually mean? Right. And there's some very key things that need to start at the beginning, like, again, like setting the foundation for a home, that if they're not in place, you'll never get to some of the technologies that you're now focused on, like machine learning and blockchain and AI and everything else. Mm -hmm. What's the core foundation that's kind of missing that you've seen through direct experience over the last, you know, 16 years and specifically maybe what you've done with the Envision platform from Wood and how that needs to be applied before you even get to some of these higher tech things. Right. So I think previously one of the biggest limiting factors, you know, everybody, everybody, you know, different companies have different systems that will do something. Right. Uh, and then different domain experts, you know, obviously develop different systems with different types of information, different focuses of the information. Uh, but it really kind of sits in a bunch of different systems. Uh, and so I think the concept of digital twin in my mind is actually being able to really bring information and contextualize it from all those specific domain expert systems into a single place where you can truly people from other audiences can actually interpret and make decisions based off that information. So it's really a contextualization uh, problem that I think digital twin is, is, is trying to focus on. I spent a lot of time you know, a good thing is that, you know, APIs are becoming much more common. So it's easy to, you know, you have the information, but then you can programmatically get information out of the system and transfer it across different platforms uh, in, and then allow you to textualize it, apply your machine learning to it. Uh, but I think one of the big barriers and one of the problems a lot of companies start when they start the dig digitalization process is how do we connect all the different systems we have? We have a lot of information in these systems, right. a lot of expertise and knowledge, but to really be digital, you have to co connect that information. Totally. And the key is being able to connect the information in all these different legacy systems. Totally. You so if you, let me, let, me, let, me, let me double click on that for a second. So again, to replay kind of what you said, one of the first steps you have to do is take all this. First, you have to do an assessment of all of your stuff, right? Where is all my data live? Because at the end of the day, we're talking about data, right? That's the key mm -hmm. here, right? And the first thing you got to do is do that assessment. Where is it? And then find a place that you can centralize all of that data, right? Yes. Without doing that, you know, all the then you're just left to this wide disparate network of things that never talks to each other, doesn't connect mm -hmm. to each other. It's the, it's the problem that we're in today. Right. Yeah. So you got to start yes. by centralizing, uh, which for a lot of people might be a bit counterintuitive. But then centralization is one of the core components of any cloud-based platform today, which is why you guys have a cloud-based solution that lives in Azure. Right. It makes it doesn't matter where anybody is, as long as they're connected to the internet, they can start to dump data into that central place. That's sort of step one, and then begin to build their models and how they monitor the digital twin of the environment, you know, once that data is centralized, is that a fair kind of recap of what you've learned along yes. the way? Yes, it's a very good recap. And like I say, because, and that kind of feeds into the IoT because yes. you know, once you get a centralized system, then you have the flexibility to put the, the, I guess, monitor only type sensors and pump that information. It doesn't have to go through wires. It can go wirelessly direct to the cloud. But then again, you can start combining all that information from your legacy IoT sensors, your flows, temperatures, uh, status type information uh, in with all these new, much more inexpensive, much you know, lower power usage and you know, not requiring wires to yep. get that information to do that. And then you can start seeing the value of digitalization. And how is that? So let me let me expand now back a little bit. So how is that? Because you've been with the Wood Group for, if, I, if I've got my numbers here, about 16, 17 years. So a pretty healthy yes. chunk of time. Um, and they've, as you said, expanded quite a bit in the area. Sort of maybe they historically were an EPC, but now they've broadened into other, other uh, related markets. But they're still kind of pushing this digital management concept. And you seem to be right at the forefront of that. So the question is, can you talk a little bit about kind of who Wood Group is? Because a lot of people might not even know who that is um, to some extent. And then how you fit in that because your career, you know, is synonymous with kind of Wood, to me, feels like it's synonymous with Wood's development here in the embracing of digitalization concepts 
through all the work you've done on the Envision platform and now even what you're leading, which is the next set of things. You know, once you've digitalized, then you're going to want to apply machine learning and AI and blockchain, right. which is where you're at, right? So yes, a long question there, but you know, maybe you can kind of go into a little bit of how how you and Wood and Wood in particular grown, you know, and how that's you know kind of you know again you two you you individually represent Wood from it feels like to me like a dig, you're like a digital metaphor. <laughs> For, for the wood company in the way you've described watch your evolution. Watch me start dissolving into a matrix, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. Um, uh, wood, uh, you know, you're right, has traditionally been seen as an EPC. Uh, and we had a, a lot of, a big focus was actually on operating. So we would go in, you know, to a plant where maybe in a venture capital or investor group bought a power plant. Yep. say okay you 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 want to, you know how to make money uh, we know how to operate industrial facilities and so going right. in there and actually becoming the you know effectively the subcontract the whole operation out to us and we're responsible for you know right. maintaining the safety efficiency as well as production um, and, and really the envision platform was fundamental to that process right that kind of development because it feels i mean I'm, I'm trying to try to draw a string to that envision i mean i don't know a ton about the envision platform but what you've described to me it feels like that's sort of the digital manifestation of the wood value proposition to some extent yes yes it's uh, definitely an extension and seeing that need to you know as as both an engineering design company who will you know you want to build something we'll figure out how to build it and then we'll tell you how to you know design it uh, right but then actually being in the operation phase as well really gave us a much i would say deeper insight into the challenges that companies face you know when they hire someone to design something then someone else comes along and builds it and then we actually have to operate what a bunch of you know, five different companies put together for us. So that gave totally. us a very unique perspective within the marketplace, not just as a design uh, consulting yeah. construction firm. Yeah. Uh, and so we really expanded and, and I, I, I like uh, the, the fundamental change, I believe, in terms of the focus of wood is now focused on the decarbonization, the energy transition, and the technology. You know, we've seen, as an operator, we've seen the need for technology, better connectivity, better uh, holistic, more information. And so we're actually, I'd say, fundamentally becoming a technology-enabled service provider for both our customers uh, externally and places we operate, uh, you know, and as consultants to help uh, companies along in their digitalization journey. Right. And that's, and that's, that, that also seems to be a trend. Well, let me, let me broaden all the way back to a super high level. Many companies are going through this transition to becoming technology companies, not just their traditional, you know, let's take a look yes. at automotive, you know, is it, is, is, you know, are automotive companies, technology companies nowadays, or are they car companies? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I've had all sorts of debates on that, that one. I think the answer is self-evident, but it's the same thing, even in the world of, of, of operations and management, right? You've got to become technology first. Um, and then kind of figure out what you're doing with that technology. So it's, you know, and, and, and so I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact too, that you also then even career-wise have evolved into what is the kind of couple steps forward from where the industry is today, yeah. which is once you've digitalized, then you can do all these really cool automation things, machine learning um, and, and, and AI, let's say, and we can talk about that. Blockchain is a, is a and we talk about that since that's your core, core, core expertise to some extent uh, or evolved into, and I'm a huge blockchain fan, um, uh, uh, long, long, long been in that market, um, but it still hasn't really materialized yet in real commercialized applications for a true decentralized database with data accuracy through yes. third party validation, um, but it's coming, you know, there's no question about it. So where I'm headed with this is, um, now, kind of looking back on what companies need to do to get this process started, because that's, again, a key question, even in 2021, how do I start to begin this, you know, you know, is it using something like uh, the, in, you know, the, the, the insight? Is it, is it, where do I even start? Like, how, I mean, you must get that the question all the time, right? Which is, that's cool. I would love to do what you do. I'd love to take <laughs> advantage of machine learning and AI, but I have nothing connected yet. <laughs> well, uh so are you asking about how to connect this yeah no yeah like how do you even start like you 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 get pulled in so phil black gets pulled in okay. and you know someone at chevron is or i'll pick another you know take a, a tier two energy company they're like yeah you know we're you know a few you know 10 20 billion dollars 
we're globally distributed, but you know, where do we even start this digitalization process? Like we don't, you know, you guys, you know, you've been at it for a while. Like, how do I even begin to get going here? Right. Cause it's almost, yes. it's, so, it's so overwhelming. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yes. The fundamental question or the fundamental step that has to be taken and is very hard to get, get excitement about is mapping the data. Mapping the data is very challenging, but it's a key. You have to know what you have. If you don't know what you have and you don't know how it fits together, you can never really go anywhere from there. And so can the I add is, one piece to that uh, in there? Sure. Because it's, it, the data, uh, let me ask this question here. Do you agree with the statement that the data also has to map to the assets in particular? Because that's really what you're trying to kind of figure out within this whole world is, and if I'm not, I mean, data is one thing, but if I'm not tied to something physically that I'm trying to manage or operate, then I'm, I, I miss the whole, you know, I, I don't even know what's going on. Or is that too um, far of a leap for you? I don't know. I, I think it's probably a leap because I'm not, yeah, yeah. not sparking anything. Uh, yeah, right yeah, now. I'm with you. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, it, it's a fundamentally, I would, okay, I'll put it this way. It's a fundamental mapping of your physical to digital. So you, yes. everybody has physical assets. You yep. have to map what that's doing in terms of a, a digital system. Everybody has a, a type of digital system, yep. but it's that mapping. And it's that, again, I go back to the contextualization. It's because, you know, you have a an asset, a specific piece, but yep. you have five different types of groups who are interacting with that specific asset. Right. They're interacting in very unique, specific ways, but all that information is just sitting and not able to be looked at uh, in uh, in one sense by people who aren't experts with those systems. Right. So you have to do that mapping to figure out what systems you have, who's the who are the owners of the system, and then determine what is the best source of, you know, as you map out the different characteristics that you, you need to monitor or, or look at, uh, you need to be able to uh, figure out which system has the best source of information, you know, kind right. of become the, the, everybody talks about single source. Uh, but, uh, you know, every system has weaknesses and strengths. So how to get the, the best aspects of each system mapped into a centralized, a more centralized, uh, being be able to look at from the very high level, you know, at the complete site, all the way down to the individual transmitter who actually sent that information. That's hard. And, and that, I think, uh, is where a lot of digitalization projects and roadmaps kind of get lost because you it, you can never do everything. You have to yep. figure out the most important things and then do that first and then accept right. that you're going to have to kind of probably add some uh, different components as you go along. But you have to do that mapping. You have to do that rationalization, that going through that the engineering process, I say, in terms of engineering the data, what you have in order to figure out the gaps. The nice yep. thing is when you have these gaps identified, usually you can retrofit with the sensors or the information in a much cheaper way because right. you don't have to do it how you did it 20 years ago when maybe the asset was built. Right, right. So uh, I guess another way uh, to say this, and I'll use my words here and, and, and see how you feel about this one. So, so it's almost like digitalization requires in step one that you have a digital twin strategy to make it yes. simple. Right. Like that's yeah. just to make yeah. it really yeah. simple is, you know, it's just like step one, you got to create a digital twin, not of it, you know, you want everything, but you got to start with the most important kind of prioritize what you're going to digitally, you know, and you might find that some things are already digitally, you know, IOT enabled, you're just now going to hook yeah. up to them and stuff like that. But the digital twin is kind of the starting point, you know, as a, is an umbrella concept, you know, how you implement that's up to each of the companies. But then once you kind of get there, then you get to some really cool stuff where all of a sudden the data is pouring in to a central place. Now you can start doing the real cool analytics, the real cool machine learning, the real cool AI, but unless it's connected and you guys, you know, you know what's going on, you, you know, then, then throwing machine learning and AI at something that's not connected makes no sense. Yes. It, right. it, it, well, it can only get you a very, it, it can only get you a, you know, 10% of the value. You right. Know, it's that 90% comes from the connectedness right. of that system and i'd say connectedness in a sense too that it uh some did you know you, you, your domain experts are still going to want to probably use and still be very comfortable in the systems that they're using yep. so there really needs to be at least a level of bi-directional communication from your digital twin 
to those specific systems because your domain experts know how to use the systems, know how to get the most value from the information stored in there, but they have to be able to still be aware of what the digital twin uh, is offering as well. And and it's easiest if that can happen directly in any interface that they're used to using. It just, it removes one more barrier of weight. So one less click, it's five seconds less than switching to a different, you know, window or app or or whatever. Uh, So that, has to be able to come some has to be some level of coming back uh, to the system from that digital twin that's providing the holistic seeing the holistic uh, view of what's happening totally totally and 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 now kind of as you think about that what you've said and kind of building off that so now going into where you are today so as someone who's kind of looking at new technologies and how to begin to apply them, I mean, what do you see, you know, you've already mentioned blockchain and that's sort of a big one and machine learning and AI, but, you know, just taking the, taking the concept of what new tech are you excited about in the context of applying it to this new digital twin enabled environment, you know, and what are you playing with and seeing and excited about, you know, I mean, blockchain might be the obvious one, but there could be other ones that you're seeing as, you know, this is the next, oh my God, you know, when the world sees this, it's going to be amazing. It's going to change everything. Um, so I think blockchain does have a lot of potential, but I think there's a lot of limiting factors that right now is preventing the really usefulness of it. You know, first is the blockchains don't really talk to each other. So everybody right. has a blockchain, but if you're part of a group with a blockchain, uh, you and you want to do business with another company that's on a different blockchain, you have to join that blockchain as well. But then you have two blockchains and you have to, it's hard enough to figure out how to get this consistent set of information in, in an internal system. How do you synchronize that information across multiple blockchains? You lose right. the benefit the blockchains bring. So that interoperability is really limiting the, the uptake because, it, and the, the fact that the technology is changing so fast, mm-hmm. companies, you, you can't, it's hard to standardize on something across a large asset or enterprise because in six months, it's going to be a completely new version or a completely right. new update or completely new functionality, which is good. And it's how the tech, but the technology kind of has to mature. And I think we have to get more of a, a consistent baseline for mm-hmm. blockchains. So mm-hmm. being able to connect across and have a better baseline for blockchains. So that's, mm-hmm. I, I see that. I get, I get asked the question, if it's so great after I talk, if it's so great, why isn't everybody doing it? Well, there are right. things that have to happen, you know. Let, let me ask you a question on that one. And because you've thought a lot about blockchain. So what you're describing or what you just described is the inter, I'll call it in, in my terms here, the interoperability of data between mm-hmm. different blockchain databases, right? Um, yeah. So, so the first question I'd ask when you describe that is, is that the most effective use of blockchain itself, or you know, are we are we overcomplicating what blockchain should be thought about? Which is really, it's you know, it's in my mind, blockchain is always about being a you know distributed database that protects the integrity of the data itself through the third-party verification system that goes in there. You know, it's not about sharing, you know, I, I, for me, I don't think about sharing data between blockchain databases. I simply think about that one use case alone and build around that for now. And that might be too simple, but I'm just kind of curious as, because you, it sounds like you, you know, you obviously work in this a bunch, you know, I, I, I guess, and I, and I don't, but I've thought about it. If someone was telling me they wanted to link up a bunch of blockchain databases, I'd be like, well, why are you doing that? Well, yeah. Why are you doing that? You're doing it right now because you know, Walmart is running their blockchain for, for lettuce, you know, right. uh, other companies are doing blockchain for, you know, supply chain, you know, totally. you're tracking assets. What happens if you're a customer that provides leafy things to Walgreens, you know, Walmart and has to use their blockchain, but then you want to get the benefit with another supplier who's, who's providing something to you, to your, to make mm-hmm. that lettuce, to grow mm-hmm. that lettuce. Mm-hmm. But they're on a completely different blockchain. So that, because again, it provides value. But right now, the value is very siloed uh, I to very specific industries or very specific aspects of industries. Right. Uh, you know, especially when you're connecting digital and physical information. Uh, yeah, totally. So, so that's why the interoperability is important because you know, right now you have going back to the database world right now, you have, uh, you know, Oracle, SQL, you know, MySQL, Maria, all those different databases, but they're at a fundamental level. Most of the, uh, you can translate most of the information pretty easily from SQL to Oracle. 
you know, yep. I mean, it's, it's the structures are very similar. Everybody kind of knows what a relational database and even NoSQL databases, you know, again, you can still fundamentally map the information similarly enough to transfer easily yep. uh, across systems. Uh, I say easy, it's still challenging, but it's, it's easier than it is for blockchain because for blockchain, it just doesn't happen. It's just, <laughs> it's not. Right. Well, and, really and I guess correct. I'll be a, a little bit, I'll be a slightly controversial here in the statement that I don't think blockchain was built to be a sharing database so much as a centralized data store for, you know, one kind of use case, right? Um, the, the architects never envisioned it, you know, especially when you think about uh, cryptocurrency, right? You're not sharing that data <laughs> all over the place. That's, that's not the intent, right? Doesn't mean it's, it's the wrong way to go, but I think the world is not sure yet is, you know, should I be using blockchain databases for, because databases to your point, are, you know, there's like different flavors. Do I want my own proprietary database? Do I want a shared database? Or do I want, you know, now a blockchain database? And, and there's different use cases for each of those, right? Um, that may not interoperate with each other. Uh, at least that's kind of, you know, I think it, we're still not sure where the world's going to go with that one yet, right? I mean, there's a lot yes. of, you know, enthusiasm, but what's the, you know, is this, is this really a Phillips screwdriver or is this a Swiss army knife? I'm not sure. Yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a good analogy. I like that. Is it something that's used very specifically or is it something that can be used in a huge wide variety of applications? Right. I, I'm optimistic and I think it's a Swiss army knife, but We'll see. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. I, and I think, I think that's the jury's out on that one. I don't know. You know, that's a great yeah. question. Cause it's, it's again, at the end of the day, it's a database. It's just a, it's just a, it's a, a different architected database than your sequels, no sequels, you know, your historic, you know, basically spreadsheets. I mean, I always like to tell people, yeah, like, people yeah. you know, it's like, Hey, a database is just a spreadsheet. It's just on steroids. Right. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's rows and columns and cells and data and, and that's it. Right. Let's not overthink this. So now the question is, but blockchain adds some hooks to that uh, spreadsheet because I can't, not everyone can, it, you know, blockchain is like a Google sheet with particular rules built in. <laughs> it's a shared spreadsheet that, you know, but I can't just write to it. I, I have to comply with certain standards. Well, you can write to it, but you can't remove from it. So that, correct, that correct, is correct, 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 thing. Correct, right. And that's what really enables the uh, detailed tracking of information. The fact that right. the court technology forces you to, again, the let it brings the accounting uh, rigidity and rigor to right. any data. And, right. You know, accounting right. is right. very rigorous and for a reason to track detailed tracking of where money goes and, you know, comes and goes right. with blockchain, you're going to track much more data, much more different types of data, but in that same rigorous sense. And, yep. and that enables, again, the incentivization of putting the correct data in first, uh, the first time on the blockchain, yep. you know, yep. so doing that QA, QC before you just say, well, it looks good enough to send it because no one can ever track it back to me just right. from a pure psychological perspective. Right. If they can, that really says ups the bar. Well, I don't want to look bad. Correct. I'm going to put the best information in there. And the other, right. I, and I know because I'm doing it, everybody's doing it. So it becomes right. the fact that everybody's really focusing more on putting the right set or accurate set of information onto right. that as right. you say, blockchain database. Which, which to your, to your point, may, you know, in time, improve data quality for all the reasons that you just oh, stipulated, right? Because yeah, up until will. now, there's been no verification either of my own self-policing or of anybody else policing my own data entries. And that's one of the advantages. That's a great point, you know, that, that blockchain in a way is also upping the ante with data quality through all the things you just talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I prefer the carrot approach versus the stick. I think it's just, you know, it, it incentivizes everyone to do their best at the beginning. You're always going to have adjustments right. you have to make, but instead of policing, uh, incentivizing the, the best, you know, doing that work again, because you know that everybody else is doing it too. So when everybody yeah. else is doing it, the peer pressure becomes positive. Right, right. So creating so, positive so, peer pressure. Yeah, which for is good. That, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not, no one likes to do. No one right. likes to sit and review and audit and before they put their so oh, it's right. five o'clock, I want to go, right. you know. Right. Uh, this is this is bullying with a positive spin. <laughs> 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 right? Uh, for for good reasons. All right. Well, so 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 now blockchain, but also let's think about the future of tech. I mean, you know, something that's old, which is new again, is IoT. 
right? Because um, you, you I, I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but as you've evolved in your position, you know, just both career-wise and now within Wood, you're really now kind of looking outward at the new tech, blockchain obviously being at the forefront, but you've mentioned machine learning, you've mentioned AI, and you even started your career in IoT, which kind of ironically is coming back. It's kind of, the, you know, it's hot again, right? Even though I don't yeah. know if we call it IoT anymore. You know, yeah. what, beyond, what beyond blockchain are you seeing that is kind of in that new tech space that's going to have an impact on, you know, obviously we're interested in supply chain, but as you talk about operations and supply chain, I mean, they're kind of synonymous. I mean, what's, what's coming in that world that you think is kind of innovative, disruptive, or, or maybe it's just like IoT. It's not that it's innovative or just, dis- it is disruptive, but it's just, we're finally 20 years later, figuring out how to begin to apply IoT where we didn't before. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my mind, the next uh, frontier is autonomous. Okay. Uh, and, and, and I say that in terms of robotics is kind of the, the where a lot of work's being done in terms of creating robots that can more multifunctional yeah. uh, outside of just doing one specific task over and over. We've already mastered using robotics for one specific task over and over, but mm-hmm. creating actually all these IoT sensors, all this machine learning is really enabling the creation of new types of machines that can do a lot, a wider variety of things faster, safer, and better. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of people, you know, get concerned when you talk about robotics and automation because oh, that's you know, in terms of they're worried about job security. Uh, but I think the f- next step of humanity is going into space. And if we're going to be going into space, there's long distances. If we're going to have multiple generations living on a spaceship before they colonize the planet or what, what another body, uh, we're going to have to really develop these autonomous systems that can operate and take care of us during the journey. I know it's a little far, far flung, but I oh really no, 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 space, you, you, really you, 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 really re- requiring this level of automation and this level of autonomy that we're worried about here on earth. So, I, I mean, I, it's not out there at all. And in fact, the, to anyone who knows me, you just opened a door that we could spend the next like, two weeks walking on because I am a uh, huge fan of space exploration, a huge fan of what Elon Musk is doing. And I, you know, and I've, I've even gone so far as to begin to write a little bit about what it means to have a uh, galactic supply chain, which you just started mm-hmm. talking about versus just a you know earth-based supply chain and and that's the things that nasa now elon musk is thinking about which is what are the implications of you know we have a space station where people have been living you know autonomously for months on end if not you know i think the max has been about a year or 15 months or something like that i can't remember exactly but now obviously you're looking at the duration of space flight to something like mars and how do you plan that out how do you know people and then how do we start delivering stuff back and forth between mars and yeah. here right? If we can't find resources on a planet like that. So you get into some really, so uh, let me ask you a question. This is completely random because you brought it up. Are you a science fiction, science fiction reader? Oh, yes. I was going to say, yes, you must be. I, I, I've, uh, I'm, my, my currently, I'm, uh, oh, I've gone through the Expanse series. I really like that series. Okay, I was going to say right there, right? Loving, <laughs> loving the Amazon show on Amazon Prime as well, because I think it really, it really brings, he, he, the author does a good job, yep. you know, really kind of putting some of the pieces together and showing how they fit together and can fit together, you know, in, in any way. So, Oh, I'm glad uh, yes. you brought that one up. I think the expanse <laughs> is, is like literally foretelling what's going to go on in the next hundred years. I mean, they've just nailed what, what a lot of the, a lot of the challenges of what it's going to look like when humanity has expanded out, you know, into the solar system. So I'm going to ask you more. Uh, more. So uh, as far as science fiction authors, just top of mind, who comes to your sort of number one or number two kind of insight, you know, who do you turn to? So I don't have a, I don't have a go-to list of someone, you know, I've read some of the pioneering, you know, work Asimov. Uh, I was going to say Asimov, like, of, Heinlein, kind of Philip, Philip yeah. Dick, yeah, of course. Know, yeah. Thing, uh, type of type of work, as well as some of the newer things like The Expanse. I don't have a particular author I Okay. Love. I, yeah. I, I, I like a wide variety. There was a, a, a series I read. I can't remember the author's name. She was, I believe she was a newer author, but about uh, a series a three about a, a ship, you know, and, and how, how, if ships, if spaceships have personalities, how oh. does that change 
interaction. Right, uh, right. Uh, oh, God. It's a space opera. I can't, I, the name is, is, uh, yeah, is escaping I, me, I, but it was a great I, series talking about the, again, the different, you know, what happens when AI, kind of focusing on what happens when AI develops personality. How will that change yeah. human interactions and how will that change how we interact, you know, with these machines that we're depending on to stay alive. Totally. I mean, so that, I, now, I now we're getting it. We're, those are fascinating. <laughs> I mean, this is like, oh man, like uh, singularity. Then we can get into some of the futurists and their writing versus science fiction. Um, okay. All right. Let me pull us back here for a little bit. We've got a few minutes left and I definitely want to um, kind of, again, highlight, you know, some of the things, but, but, but again, kind of look forward a little bit. So looking at 2021 coming out of this sort of, uh, you know, pandemic and kind of, we got the new year, what do you see coming coming up this year? Like, what are the you know what are you looking at as far as you know? Are we kind of getting back onto track where we can start seeing the you know the deployment of some of these new technologies? How does that impact? I mean, what what do you see in this year in particular kind of coming up? Yes, my my gut feel is that once the cases start coming down, the vaccines start proving effective, then you'll see we'll have an inner a period of very high high amount of technology adoption and actually deployment. We've all been through this, you know, year and a half experiment of doing much, many more things virtually and, you know, figuring out how to get that done better. I think we're going to see that translate in and we've seen companies forced to be flexible than they, more flexible than they normally would. Yep. So my hope is that the rest of this year will be about really taking back creativity that has been forced, we've been forced to adopt Yep. and actually applying it to technology and being able to take a few more risks in terms of trying out, you know, machine learning is still an area that has a lot of potential. Cool. And I know I keep talking about it, but I, I went to Microsoft uh, conference uh, last February, right before things locked down. And it was amazing to see their vision for it, mm -hmm. you know, and that was you know, around uh, cities and, auto and you know, automotives uh, mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. So seeing what that is and what, what the tech companies really are see, have the vision for those areas, I think we can come back with an oil and gas and energy and, and really create new ways of delivering energy. That's fundamentally what we have to do because of the climate change you know, focus. And I'm glad to see that. Hopefully, I, I see 2021 is really the year where uh, climate change becomes a financial uh, the the invest you know the investors uh, become interested in focusing on not just how we're not just the energy but how we're producing the energy and when the investors take notice companies take notice and start changing their behavior so I see twenty twenty one is taking these technologies these creativity and hopefully harnessing it into decarbonization and using different you know uh, uh, making our power generation much more flexible and being able to use wind, solar, tidal, natural gas, you know, all those things, but orchestrating it and, and providing it. So we have the same level of reliability, the same level of power produced, but it's in a way that doesn't cause as much impact to the planet as we have been doing. Right. So right. that's kind of, that's my, that's my idealistic vision of what, 20, what I hope 2021 kind of starts to bring is we, we, we see the we focus on climate change. It has to happen. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right, um, and and I would I would I would potentially broaden the aperture a little bit in not just climate but climate change is in our climate change affecting climate change is an outcome of focusing on sustainable practices, right? And I think one of the main methods to get there will be the introduction of circularity into the supply chain. Um, because that has a direct impact on natural resource consumption or a reduction of natural resource yes. consumption. Um, and that's becoming kind of the, you know, ironically, the new new thing. Consumers have figured out circularity a long time ago. It's enterprises need to catch up to that, right? Um, and I think, I think you're absolutely right. But, you know, exciting year coming up. There's no, well, exciting. Anything's going to be more exciting than 2020. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Well, good, exciting. No, yeah, right, right, good. Yeah, 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 right. Exactly, excily, exactly. Not that exciting. exciting. Right, right, right. When the aliens start landing, though, this year, that's when people are going to get freaked out. You know, they'll change, they'll change our concern, uh, just like the expanse. Um, but yeah, I really but, like. Yeah. I really like the focus you bring on the circularity, especially in supply chain, because that's not typically thought of. And I, you're a visionary in that aspect. 
because you're really focused not just on the one way, but on the full cycle. And, and that's something that has to, the awareness has to be increased and, you know, companies have to start adopting that. So I'm very glad to see that you're, you're a strong proponent of that and you're really pushing, uh, pushing that new perspective on supply chain. Oh, appreciate that. And I, I wish to take credit. I mean, that, that's just us observing kind of what's going on. And I'll, be, I'll even be more blunt. Um, circularity for us is actually more of a, a profit driven decision than it is environmental. You know, it's this is I'm speaking to the you know, we're speaking to the CFOs, you know, directly and saying circularity is not, you know, a woo woo tree hugging, you know, let's burn some incense and feel good. It's actually driving improved margins. Uh, you're yeah, missing yeah. out on free cash by not focusing on circularity. Um, so the, you, you're in fact, we're kind of, I don't want to say we're shaming them, but you know, there is a bit of shaming where it's just like, do you realize that you bought, you know, like Shell, you bought $250 billion worth of stuff. You do that every year. And I guarantee you're only getting millions of dollars back in your disposition program. You should be aiming at 10 to 20% of your money back, right? So there's your Delta, mm -hmm. right? If you're getting hundred million back, but you should be getting close to two point, you know, 25 billion back you got to close that gap. And that's, that's circularity right there. You know, I mean, that's all you need to know. Um, but I, again, I, I think, I think you're right. I think the other thing that's exciting about you in particular and about what you guys are doing is, um, you know, you've got a really, I think fresh, not fresh, but also what well, is a fresh perspective. It's, but a, 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 such an understanding after 17 years of focusing on the digitization at the, at the, a digital twin level, that's unique, um, you know, and, and we've been talking a lot about that. And I think that to your credit is also something that you just lived and breathed and see that you've almost, you've forgotten more about digital twinning than most people have learned. <laughs> but, but it's so fundamental. It's like, that's the starting block. Like if you don't have that in place, then you can't get to all this other cool technology. And we keep reminding, because people always want to fast forward to the shiny object. Oh, oh, let's do blockchain. Well, okay, before you get there, What's your digital twin? How are you implementing IoT? How are you tracking everything? Like, let's just start at the very basics. And I think you do a wonderful job of kind of articulating that. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. I've enjoyed the. I've enjoyed chatting. Uh, uh, conversations always go lots of different directions with interesting people. So I enjoyed yeah. uh, having this interesting variety, with, you know, varied uh, uh, conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. So this has been great. We're going to, I'm just going to wrap up there. Really thank you for kind of kicking our year off with this. It's been wonderful to kind of talk to you about, again, all the things that you got going on and, and we're definitely going to stay in touch. So really appreciate yes, it, sure. Phil. All right. Thanks a lot, Richard. This is Richard Donaldson. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about the episode or topics in supply chain you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, why not check out the Request platform at supplychain.request.com. Request allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud, collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at www.request.com.